And please be seated. Might have noticed as you were driving in today that a couple more picnic tables showed up today. There are a couple of, uh, of handicapped accessible uh, picnic tables that have uh, a place that sticks out at one end so you can put a wheelchair underneath. And they look really cool and we want to thank Russ and Cap and their scout troop for doing that. Let's do that. Would you pray with me as we begin? Let's uh, ask God to come and be among us in a special way. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being part of the local body of believers. We see you manifest yourself here every day. We also thank you for the joy of being part of a larger body of church, the Brethren in Christ, a church across this country and many nations around the world. And we thank you that we have fellowship with all believers everywhere who are known by your name. Lord, bind us together as a community of faith where you are made known and bind us as a body of believers so that we may take and be the word of God to this struggling world. As we open the word today, we ask that you reveal yourself and your truth. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Well, it's good to be back after uh, doing a little traveling last week. Uh, we were in Kansas for our biennial, biennial, I can hardly say that word, biennial, which means every other year, uh, gathering of the General Assembly of the Brethren in Christ. Um, we meet to do the business of the church. And we hold, uh, we had about uh, several hundred delegates came and leaders from over 250 churches gathered. And, and it, it was a great reminder of what church is. Uh, the Brethren in Christ, which is the church that we belong to, is a body of believers that is broad and deep. And I want to show you a little cross-section of the church this morning before we get really into it. Uh, the church, of course, is the congregation of God, right? And as we gather, there's nothing more special. We're never more evident as the church of God than when we do worship together. And uh, we had a joy in a range of experiences from multiple different worship styles, from different worship teams, and even different languages. Uh, we worshiped with the Hispanic church that had its own tambourine team and, and just beautiful, lively, wonderful music that we, we had a great time singing both in English and in Spanish. That fellow there with the cowboy hat that you can see, that's Stan Norman. Stan is the pastor of a cowboy church. Now, what's a cowboy church, you ask? Well, it's a church for cowboys. Is that pretty obvious? <laughs> Uh, until recently, they, they met outside, they sat on hay bales, and many of them, because there are a lot of great horsemen in the region, rode their horses to church on Sunday. And so they have provision there where you can come in and tie up your church, and there's feed and water for the horses. And uh, it's the only church I know of that has uh, a band that's led by steel guitar. So that's pretty cool. We had uh, other worship experiences. Last Sunday, while you were worshiping here, I was at Revolution Church, and I want to play a little clip, just so you
that needed to be a whole lot louder, so you could really kind of get a little bit of a hint of the experience that that wouldn't really even do it justice. Uh, lots of bass, lots of sound, a little hip-hop, a whole lot of rock and roll. Uh, this church was designed specifically to, um, to help people who are in recovery, those recovering from drugs and alcohol, and people who are really left out on the fringe of society. And uh, one of the things that was wonderful while we were there, we got to experience a, a baptism service that was a part of it, and we got to meet a whole lot of new believers in Jesus who are pretty raw, but they are on fire to follow God. And that was a great experience. Um, of course, we got to see a lot of old friends. There's a few that you might recognize. There's Doug Miller and John and uh, Tony Fickett. And uh, the four of us were having a great conversation circle and we had a good time together. It, uh, it's always really good to see people you haven't seen for a while. Of course, uh, those of you who um, haven't been here for a while, this uh, on the far left, Doug, uh, he and his wife are missionaries in Malawi, and they came from this congregation growing out of a Bible study. And John and Tony were the pastoral couple, couple here for many years. That other guy, I don't know anything about him. This is uh, Doug Lichty. He's a friend of mine. Uh, Doug and I went to college together. And so we spent time flying out together, and we stayed together, and, and just spent a lot of time uh, talking together. You know, it's really interesting. When, when you've been doing this jazz for 40 years, uh, it's kind of like last man standing. You know, you look around and you go, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. We've all been here that long. You know, we survived. <laughs> Here we have Bruce and Merle Bundy in Spain. Bruce and Merle have been here on many occasions, and uh, we prayed for them this morning in our prayer time. Uh, they have just started a new ministry, a retreat center, and uh, they gather people on the lawn, and they sing together, and they share Jesus together without preaching. And they are finding that it has uh, become a very effective way to share Jesus with the people around them. This is Ben. Some of you know Ben Stoner. Uh, some of you know him from the creamery, but some of you know him from his work at uh, Navajo Mission originally and at a church that he planted in the Four Corners region. Uh, ben and Eunice are just now coming to retirement, and they're going to retire there among the Navajo where they've spent most of their life serving. And we got to play a little. There was a game we had which was called Where's Lynn? Well, there's Lynn Thrush, and some of you may realize that he was one of our original pastors or one of our pastors about 30 years ago or so here at the church, and uh, he was trying to invite us to a conference. The next conference is going to be in his region where he serves as bishop, um, so we're not sure about the outfit, but we're excited about the conference. Well, there are so many other people that we saw. We got to uh, see the Roths and... I got to see Chris and Marla's book, who are friends of mine who are serving at uh, the Malaria Research Institute, and there were just so many people. One of the great things was that right before our conference was a missions gathering, and so so many people came from all over the world to gather, which was really cool. We got to see the installation of uh, the new bishop in the Atlantic Conference, Heather Beatty. And uh, we visited a lot of historical sites. Went on a historical tour on Sunday afternoon that took us, you know, across the region and through some of the Old West. And uh, one of the places we went was Bethel Brethren in Christ Church. Now, 
Bethel Brethren in Christ Church has a very special history because this is where our missions movement began. For the first hundred years in the Brethren in Christ Church, we stayed in America. We didn't go outside of the United States. And, and then, at a general conference in 1894, a young woman by the name of Rhoda Lee got up and she gave a very impassioned speech. Now, this was gutsy. This was a time when women didn't necessarily get up and speak in conference, when the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other side. And, and she got up and shared this plea. You know, she said, she pointed out that we say we believe the Great Commission. We say we believe it, but why aren't we doing it? And many people were inspired. A man named Jacob Stauffer got up and he placed a $5 bill on this table. And that was the beginning. My understanding is that was the equivalent of about $170 today. And then a spontaneous offering broke out and the hat was passed and it was the first missions offering in the Brethren in Christ. And very, very quickly they began sending people out to various parts of the world. Began a movement that sent 1,200 workers out to start churches in 23 countries and on several continents. And uh, they had their gathering there on that spot to honor that. I'm showing you all this because the church is bigger than us, than us here in this room. Geographically, culturally, and in so many other ways. But you are an important part of this church. The church is made up of people. The church isn't a building. The church isn't an institution. The church is you, the people who have been called by God into his kingdom. You are an important part of it, and together we are a very large and diverse global community. We've been doing a series called Find Your Fit, and today we want to talk about how God created you for community at many different levels here at this level, and at that global level. God created you for community. I want to start back in Genesis. Way back in Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, now, the word good here is a really cool word. The word is tov. That's the Hebrew word. And tov means more than just good. Uh, good doesn't really do it justice. Good means, it, the, this word tov means to be beautiful. It means to be complete. And so, it's just the only time in the creation story where God says something is not good. And he says it's not good for man to be alone. And the word man here is the word Adam. And Adam, before Eve is created, refers to humans. It doesn't refer to his name until after Eve is created. And so he says it is not good for humans, for the man, to be alone. Well, what was God's first command? Go and make more people. That's the first command, right? We were created for community. You were created to be with people like you. You were created to be 
in community. You may remember that a few weeks ago I said that creation is often echoed when you go into the New Testament and you find, you know, it, there'll be a statement in the Old Testament and then it's often reflected sometimes two or three or four times in the New Testament. One of those places is in the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching not giving up meeting together it is not good for man or humans to be alone. Now, now that last verse there, that one from Genesis, that's not just referring to the pairing of male and female. It's not just referring to marriage. It's referring to a principle. It's referring to something very important. It is not good for humans to be alone. And that carries over into the Christian church. Now, with the birth of Jesus' church, God gives us a place to heal that burden of loneliness, to heal it, to satisfy the community part that we were created for. And as we wait for the, the approach of Jesus, the coming day of Christ, we don't wait alone. We wait together in community. The implication of the giving, not giving up meeting together, it implies meeting together regularly, that it's a, a part of who we are. It's a part of what we do. According to Hebrews, they, we do that to hold on to hope. We do that to spur each other on to love and good works. We do that to encourage each other to keep going until Jesus gets there. Now, the inverse is true of that. When we don't gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ, it's easy to lose hope in Jesus. It's easy to give in to the nastiness of this world. It's easy to even drift into hatred. It's easy to become discouraged when we stay away from meeting together with the body of Christ. You know, the community that we were made for, the community of faith, was born in Acts chapter 2. You know those stories in Acts 1 and Acts 2? In Acts 1, when Jesus left the disciples and returned to the Father, he told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there until God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 finds about 120 of them gathered together in an upper room and praying, and, and the Holy Spirit came. And it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and something really strange happened. They were given the ability to, to share the Word of God in other languages that matched the people who were meeting for the Feast of Pentecost outside. And so when they ran into the street, those people who came from all over the place understood the gospel as it was presented in their own language perfectly. It was like no time before they were able to share the good news of Jesus. It was an amazing thing that God did. Now, part of that was Jesus transformed Peter. And Peter the fisherman became Peter the preacher. 
And Peter the preacher gave this awesome sermon, and at the end of it, can you imagine an altar call like this? There were 3,000 people who received the good news and were baptized, it says. Now, I can hardly imagine that baptism. You know, we were, we were baptizing in that Sunday last week in a pond uh, in a liner. They would, they would have had to go down to the river, and I bet you they used every beach towel in town. You know, it was, it was probably quite a baptism. So what happened after that? All these people who came to believe in Jesus, all these people who were baptized in his name, all of these people, they just went home and they sat in a dark room and contemplated what had just happened, right? They just pondered it. It's not what it says at all, does it? In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All the believers were together. And in the context of this new group, the apostles did signs and wonders. I would imagine that means things like healings and other things that, that they had been doing with Jesus before. Uh, they met together every day in the temple courtyards. They gathered together. They just couldn't get enough of the word of God, and they listened to the teachings of the apostles that had been passed down from Jesus. And they just soaked it up. Every day. Can you imagine? Church every day. We have a hard enough time getting here once a week, right? <laughs> and I told you a couple of weeks ago about about the, you know, that, that older surveys showed that, that Christians believed that three or four, three out of four Sundays in a month was, was fairly regular attendance. Uh, today, when Pew Research did their most recent survey, they found that people believe that one Sunday a month is regular attendance. Wow. It's hard to get encouraged like that. It is hard to get fed like that. It is hard to build each other up like that. It's kind of a recipe for discouragement and a lack of hope. And so many Christians I know today lack hope, have almost given up on faith, given up on Jesus. They're not waiting for that return anymore. They're just kind of plodding along. It is hard to be built up in the faith without being together as the body of Christ. It says here that they ate together, they broke bread together, and I think we can assume that that, that included the sharing of the Lord's Supper together. They shared what they had with each other. They made sure nobody went it without if they had need. They, they even sold property and some of their possessions to help others. You know, when Jesus gets a hold of you, I mean, really gets a hold of you, he changes you. And when Jesus gets a hold of a group of people, he makes a community. He makes a body, a group, to serve together. It says 
the mood in this new body of Christ was glad and sincere hearts. I love that. I love that. All these new believers that I was around last Sunday morning, man, there were a lot of glad and sincere hearts, these new creations in Jesus. It is infectious to be around new believers. They're a little out of control. They don't know what they're doing. They haven't got there yet, but they are glad, and they are praising God. I love that mood. And it says they were praising God all the time. And what was the result? The result was more and more people came to know Jesus. You know, some of those people, when they finally went back to their own homes, they took Jesus with them. And so churches began to grow up. And the apostles began to, to send each other out. They, used to, they started to go out and they built up those churches and they taught them all about Jesus and they encouraged them. They kind of discipled whole churches as they were getting started. And they started new churches. And you know, when persecution came as the century went on and those people were scattered out of Jerusalem, they took Jesus with them. And new churches began to grow up across the empire. They didn't do it alone. They did it with other believers. You know, by the end of the first century, there were communities of believers throughout the entire known world. Every place the Romans built a road, the Christians went. And even a lot of places where there weren't roads, like Thomas going into India, you know, and bringing the gospel to India. I find it astounding. I find it amazing. I find it encouraging. All this stuff grows out of this community that Jesus forms, this place we call the church. You know, there are a lot of amazing things that only happen, really, in the context of the church community. For example, community is where you can find your family. At least that's what it was for me. You know, when I came to Jesus, my own family, uh, it was not good. The wheels were really coming off the bus, and we were uh, disconnected, and we were scattered geographically all over the place. And, and so when I came to Jesus, I was drifting. I had some great friends, but I still felt pretty lonely. I had a good career working in a radio, but I felt unfulfilled. And then I started meeting Christians, and I, I started realizing these guys had something different. And when I gave my heart to Jesus, when I came into the kingdom of Christ, I found a new family. People who loved me and supported me in the way that my friends and own family really didn't in the same way. And there was a spiritual depth to it. There was a bond together that came because each of us loved Jesus. And it united us together. And those church people, they included me in their families and I ate meals with them and we worshiped together and it was very powerful. We were a family in Jesus because of Jesus. And, you know, we weathered crises together. We shared fun times together, and we studied together, and we laughed together. When I went off to Bible college, there was a dinner, and I didn't realize until I got there that the dinner was for me. And I was given a few gifts, which included a lot of love and a Bible and a blessing. 
And I'll tell you, going back to college was like leaving home. And that was hard. That was really hard because I loved this community, this group that had embraced me, this guy who was pretty rough around the edges. And you know, when I got to Bible college, I found another community, another group. We also loved each other, and I found my wife. <laughs> She's pointing at herself over here going, remember me. <laughs> yeah, we found each other on a basketball court. First night. <laughs> I've been a part of a lot of different families since that time. And I'm part of a, a really large family, a much bigger family, I've been in new, had new friends or met new friends. I've been in new locations, but Jesus has always been in the middle. Always. When I succeeded, they celebrated. When I fell down and skinned my knees, they picked me up and they dusted me off and they prayed for me and they blessed me and they forgave me. And that's another thing you find in community. You find forgiveness. Few of us go through life perfectly. In fact, I don't know anybody who has. We all make mistakes, every one of us. We all fall down in one way or another. And family is there to pick us up and to forgive us. That's precious. Community is where we find our mission, isn't it? It's where God gave gifts. He gave us spiritual gifts. This is the place he does that. He gives them in the context of the church. He gives us a host of different churches, or churches, uh, gifts in the church. And, and somewhere along the line, as we mature, we begin to realize that we can't use them by ourselves. That they work best when they work together. Because that's the way God intended. So God didn't give everybody the same gifts. He gave each of you different ones. So that all our gifts, when we put them together like a big puzzle, form a beautiful picture of Jesus. We don't use them for ourselves, for our own glory. That was part of the problem at, at Corinth. At Corinth. Uh, Paul had to write the Corinthian church a couple of times. In fact, we know that he wrote the Corinthian church at least three times because in chapter 1 in the first, first part of 1 Corinthians he mentions another letter and there may have been others too. This was a really troubled church and it was all about selfishness and me and how I use my gifts and how I use it over there. Well, I've got this gift so I'm better than you are and they lorded over each other and all kinds of stuff was going on and Paul had to correct them and bring them back in line because that's not the way it worked. In fact, it works upside down. And some of the lesser gifts become more important. And some of those people who are less honored are to be treated with honor. Everyone is important. Your gifts are important. You are important to the body. You know, when some people aren't using their gifts in the community of God, the body isn't being built up the way it should. And in terms of ministry, when we try to do ministry and we're missing parts, we're, we're somewhat handicapped in being able to share the gospel in the way that God intended it. He intended us to share 
Christ's word and share him indeed to show people what it looks like. Last week, I know that Justin challenged you to offer your gifts to the Lord. I have that piece of paper right here that he used. And the whole top part, it says, Lord Jesus, these gifts I offer to you today, use them for your glory. That's the top part of the commitment that he had you guys fill out. A lot of you came up here, you laid them on the altar, and, and uh, you know, there was this gift to God. And that's a very precious thing. Because we need you to use your gifts. We need you to surrender your gifts to God. So let me ask you, did you forget the promise that you made when you walked out the door? Did you offer him your whole self like he asks here at the bottom of this paper? Did you take it all back? Because you saw a picture of them, of Shelley and Justin shredding all of those things like they promised that they would so nobody else could read them. So now nobody else can see what's on that piece of paper. Do we still honor what's on that piece of paper? Are you going to honor God and use your gifts as you promised? Did you offer him your whole self? I hope that through this week, you've been thinking about it. I hope the Holy Spirit has been bringing that back to mind. Maybe you've thought about this week and prayed about it, and, and maybe you're even ready to do something about it, to use those gifts as God has called you to do. You can talk to me. You can talk to one of our other leaders here. Or if you want, you can be very practical and take that little piece of paper that we put in the bulletin again today, and you might be wondering, why do we keep putting that same piece of paper in the bulletin over and over and over again? That's because those jobs are not filled. Those gifts are not being exercised, some of them. And so here's a practical thing. You could pick that up, and you could check some of that off and hand that in and start in a different kind of ministry today. You know, calling happens in church community. It happens right here. You know, I, I wasn't very old in, the, in Jesus when I had this incredible, distinct impression that I was supposed to go back to school and I was supposed to study theology to prepare myself for ministry. Now, that's a very specific kind of thing. And I had this impression over and over, and I came up with every excuse in the world not to follow that. And Jesus wouldn't let me be. He wouldn't let me be at all. I went to my pastor and, and told him how I felt, and then I thought, you know, maybe God was calling me in this way, and he had one question for me. He said, has anyone confirmed your calling? And I thought about it for a moment. I said, yeah, well, this person over here has been telling me over and over again that they think I'm called to ministry and I ought to be praying about it. And this person over here is telling me the same thing. And that person back there is telling me the same thing. And so, yeah, there were these people who were confirming what I was feeling within the church. That affirmation only became stronger the longer I pursued the direction that I thought God was calling do you know, if, if God is calling you, 
I believe he will confirm that calling here in your body, the local body where you attend, through other people. In fact, I believe that every single person is called by God to serve. You know, and there's all kinds of ways to serve God with our gifts. You know, maybe God calls you to work with children, or maybe God calls you to teach, or maybe he calls you to go out and share Jesus with other people. Maybe it's to lead worship. Now, if you can't play an instrument and you can't sing, you might want to confirm with others that you're called to lead worship. Okay? Just saying. But, you know, God will call us and confirm us in the local body. In our banner over there on the wall, it says, Pursue deep fellowship at the bottom of the community banner. When you pursue deep fellowship, God does some amazing things. The word fellowship comes from a, a word that, that means that we have things in common. And what you have in common the most is Jesus. Small groups are a great place to explore Jesus together deeply. You know, out of a Bible study group here, out of a, a, a group that was sharing together in a small group, uh, several of these people that I showed on the screen up here today ended up serving in missions. When we get deep with God, when we open our hearts to God in community, God does some pretty amazing things. And you never know what God is going to do or who he's going to call. However, he may call you to stay right here in his church in this local neighborhood. And that's something to pray about. In fact, I want to challenge you this morning. This is your challenge for this week. I want you to pray. I want you to put before God what the question was even this past week. What do I do with this? What do I do with my gifts? What do I do with what God has given me to serve? Pray about that this week. Ask God this week, how am I to do this? How am I to use this? That's one thing to give it all to God in, a, in an emotional moment. It's another thing to then follow through and, and follow God in this way to really serve him. And so that's my challenge. You know, last week I went to this conference. I, I saw people I hadn't seen in 40 years. This year is my... 40th year of serving God. And it's been all that time since I left my first spiritual home. But now this is my spiritual home. And you are my family. And there's a ton of love here in this place. And there's a deep bond in the spirit of God. And people who come through the door, they feel that, that there's something special going on here. There's some sense of the presence of Jesus in this group that people feel. What we have in common is Jesus. We are a community in Christ. And when anything threatens that, we need to deal with it. You know, there may be times when we have to confess sins like division, or contention, or selfishness, or distance from Jesus or each other, or the sin of letting things of life get in the way of brotherhood, or the sin of letting the things in life keep you from sisterhood. When those ugly things rear their heads, you know what we're supposed to do? 
stomp on them in prayer and reconcile with the people we're at odds with in Jesus. I was reading a story the other day from Chuck Swindoll's book, Growing Strong, and and I think it really applies to the church, and it, it kind of summarizes what I feel about church in general, the community of faith. Uh, Here's how the story goes. One fall, a young woman named Linda was traveling um, along this rutted and rugged highway from Alberta to the Yukon. And and she didn't know that you don't travel the Whitehorse alone in a run-down Honda Civic. That just isn't the way to do it. This is where you need a four-wheel drive vehicle to get where you're going. And the first evening, she found a room in the mountains at the summit uh, where there was a lodge. And she stayed there, and she asked them for a 5 a.m. wake-up call so she could continue her journey. And the clerk looked at her like she was nuts. She didn't understand that, but um, when she woke up the next morning, she got a better idea. As she looked out the window, she couldn't see the mountains for the fog. And, of course, the road looked just like this. She didn't want to look foolish, so she got up anyway, and she went down to breakfast, and and two truckers who were there invited her to join them for breakfast. And since there was hardly anybody there, she kind of felt obligated to do that. And they said, where are you headed? She said, Whitehorse. In that little Civic? No way. This pass is so dangerous, and especially in weather like this. Well, she said, I'm determined to try it. Then I guess we're going to have to hug you. She immediately wanted to, wait, there's no way I'm going to let you touch me. (laughs) They laughed and they said, no, 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 not like that. We'll put a truck in front of you and we'll put one in the rear and we'll get you through the mountains. We'll hug you. And so all that foggy morning all the way through, Linda followed the the two red dots that she could see in front of her and was very reassured reassured by the fact that there was a big escort right behind her and they made it safely through the mountain pass all the way to her destination. That makes me think of church. You know, our life can have some pretty dangerous journeys and passages and, and often we need to be hugged. I don't mean just this kind, although we love that kind, don't we? But the kind where where fellow Christians who know the way and who can lead us to safety, they lead ahead. And others come behind and they gently encourage us. And together we make it. And that's how we're going to make it through. That's how we're going to be still standing when Jesus comes. That's how we're going to be waiting for Jesus in faith and having fought the good fight and having completed the race. That's Christian community. That's God's church. God created you for community. Heavenly Father, guide us through this life as we look forward to the day of your return. Use your church to hug us as we go. Help us to heed the advice of brothers and sisters in this community and help us to receive their love, which I know has its source in you. Lord, may we be your church, the body of Christ. 
And as we go through this week, show us the ways in which we may serve you and the body. Lord, help us to minister to one another. And then to take our community out into the outside community, into the neighborhood, into the worlds behind or beyond the church doors. And may you receive all the glory. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Now, if you need to think about that commitment we talked about last week, or maybe you weren't here and you missed that opportunity, there are more papers laying up here in this pew. And you can pick up another one if you've kind of laid your promise aside and make it all over again.